Hello and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Jordan Crook, finishing a sip of coffee. And I'm Daryl Etherington. And this week we are going to review Mank, a new film on Netflix. Before that, we should mention that Disney had a pretty big night last night or afternoon or I don't know, some time of day, depending on where you are. But um, they had their investor day yesterday, which sounds very boring. But what that means was a whole bunch of Disney executives appeared in videos where they announced their Disney Plus plans and other streaming plans for the next few years. I think Daryl was was pretty excited about all of this. Um, did did anything jump out at you? Uh, I mean, the, all the new Star Wars stuff is, is, looks really good because they basically, someone put it like, oh, are they just pretending the new trilogy didn't happen? And it felt kind of like that. Like they were like, listen, we're going to build a cool Star Wars universe based <laughs> on like the good stuff Dave Filoni has been doing over here on the sidelines for many, many, many years that, that like fans appreciated, but hasn't really reached a wider register like clone wars and, um, rebels. Mm -hmm. Um, like those are all now main canon live action shows. It sounds like I'm a little bit weirded out by the, like rogue squadron is definitely not definitely, but arguably the best star Wars movie probably I think. And then like, what's not rogue squadron. Sorry. Um, rogue one, rogue one. Yeah, so I was kind of cool. It's cool to see that Andor thing, but honestly, I feel like Andor is maybe like one of the least interesting parts of that. So I'm a little bit like, okay, I guess this will be fine. But the yeah, the the Patty Jenkins Rogue Squadron thing should be should be very very good. So Patty Jenkins, the director of Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984, she's going to be directing the the next Star Wars movie to re to be released in theaters, which will be a Rogue Squadron movie i guess that's basically um a, a set of novels that that people really liked don't we don't need to explain it to everyone everyone this is understands. going really well you guys I'm like, <laughs> everyone should know so what rogue squadron is without any explanation i don't have to explain who taiko Selchu is right <laughs> i'd like to imagine we have listeners who are not um nerdy men in their 30s <laughs> Not to, I mean, I know that obviously there, there's actually Star Wars has a fairly diverse fan base, and it's not actually just people who look and sound like us. But I think that, yeah. that a lot of this stuff, to your point, is like the the things that were kind of in the weeds of the Star Wars universe. Some of it in canon, some of it not in canon. But like now they're like bringing it into into the into the canon. Um, I mean that that argument itself is already a deeply nerdy argument. <laughs> um, very, very deeply nerdy. But the Thrawn stuff too, because they're they've there's. A, I mean, yes, we can go real deep, but like <sighs> Grand Admiral Thrawn was from the pre-canon oh novels. The, the I'm stuff sorry. That was I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for my reboot. <laughs> um, but they they integra integrated him into the canon stuff, and then. He's going to be in this Ahsoka thing, probably. It's very cool. Everything's cool, Jordan. Jordan, this is just a rehearsal for the Mandalorian review that we're probably going to have to do soon. That I could actually uh. give a shit about, but I'm hearing <laughs> Wonder Woman and what is the word you're saying? The word Stoka, canon. And I know Manx coming up, so I'm already in a bad mood. <laughs> Ewan McGregor is going to be in the thing. I heard Hayden Christensen's going to be in something too, yeah? The same one. Yeah, they're going to be in the same show Darth together. Vader. Yeah, that should be really good. 
Uh, yeah, it all sounds good. I mean, and uh, and the Disney stuff or the Marvel stuff. Sorry, I watched some of the trailers for that, and they look pretty good. Like the the buddy cop superhero thing. That's Falcon and um, Bucky. Winter Soldier. The hell his name is Winter Soldier. That should be pretty good. Looks fun. Looks pretty straightforward, but like also entertaining. And then there's the WandaVision one. Looks super weird. Hopefully that'll be good. Th- those those characters sucked in the movies. Like they just had zero chemistry and th- were also wooden and flat. Like one because I guess he's a robot, which is fine. But like um, Scarlet Witch, what's her name? Awful, awful. I really don't understand the fandom around that because people really like her in that. And I'm like, why? She was really <laughs> bad at it. But well, I mean, I think that part of the problem is is that in the although actually this is not. It was just a problem in the the first movie she appeared, the first movie that both of them appeared in, Age of Ultron, which is that she and um, the actor playing Quicksilver, they were forced to do these terrible Eastern European accents, and then in yes. subsequent films they were just like, forget about that. There's no no, no you know American accents, do normal accent, your your normal voice, and then it got at least better in that respect. Yeah, that was a real badge, not a forward-looking choice that they made there. Uh, but that looks like it could be cool. And then the the Loki thing looks much more up my alley, but it's Tom Hiddleston and he's just, you know, he's great. Can we back up for a second? Yes. What is it that you guys are talking about? Okay, like, so, so basically... Did Disney announce just it was doing a billion Star Wars things? Is yes, that- they basically said, we're doing 10 Star Wars series. We're doing tw- 10, 12 Marvel series? 10, 10 Star Wars, 10 Marvel. And then, I mean, it's sort of a vague goal because they said over the next few years which can be you know <laughs> you know anything almost um and then they said 15 um disney pixar shows and 15 disney pixar films can we talk about yeah. the pixar stuff what that i might no care there's about. none of that no wait no. yeah there's one no. that's really interesting <laughs> there's one called uh Lightyear that is a origin story of buzz Lightyear, and then chris evans was quick to correct oh and be God. like because Chris Evans is the voice, and then he was like, "To be clear, this isn't about the toy. This is about the man or the character that the toy is based on." And everyone was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> but it's true that in canon of Toy Story, <laughs> well, the way wow. yeah, Buzz canon into toy is based story on too. like a, Buzz Lightyear is a toy of a movie, a fictional movie, right? right? So they're gonna make like the movie. So they ama- so the way he pitched it. Um, so Pete Doctor came out and said, "Like, here's the, the new." All you know, here's the slate for Pixar, and um, this Lightyear movie is that when we made Toy Story 25 years ago, we assumed that like this Buzz Lightyear character was based on this really cool big budget science fiction movie, um, and now we're actually making that movie essentially, which is fine. Look, yeah, I mean, who knows? Uh, the the thing I'm most excited about is the well, the woman who made. Uh, this is this is not specifically for Disney Plus, but the woman who made that Bow short film a couple years ago, she's directing oh, yeah. a feature film that'll be I think coming out in a couple of years. And then Doug from um, the movie Nickelodeon. Up. No, the um, oh I thought Doug from the TV's Doug. The I best. know. I was no, ready Doug, to talk the, about Doug Patty the, ta- the talking dog from the movie Up, who's the best. Uh, no, dog. we're talking about Doug from Nickelodeon now. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just He's kidding. getting a TV show on on Disney Plus, which I'm very excited about. I love Doug. Doug is the best dog. That's okay. That's all right. Or yeah, they right. basically. So, I mean, 
I think Anthony's article is very good on this because it's like you just read it and you get you're like oh, how could they not another and then they just name it like they basically took everything you liked and they were just like we're just gonna make another one of these or we're gonna make it into a series like, they're doing a Ducks? turner yeah. and hooch reboot you heard of that a turner swiss hooch. family robinson what? reboot okay indiana jones new indiana jones sure yeah what else do you like and like sister act oh we're making sister act <laughs> there's new okay. sister act what yeah yeah alien the new alien series Yo, can you imagine though? No one actually asked for that one. Can we talk seriously though for a second? Can you imagine like whatever the last six months or a year or whatever that it took for them to be like, hey, all you people that we need to come back to do this deal and like negotiate all of that shit must have been intense. Like I would watch a movie about that process. (laughs) Maybe they'll do that too. That's the movie I want, honestly, (laughs) is whatever executive was like, told by some boss like hey we want to announce 40 things that are going to be really difficult to lock in and here's your deadline like go get them tiger yeah well what disney has is going for it is like this is really a straightforward money problem and they have lots of money right yeah so i think although i mean i think there there's you know this year for them has been obviously i mean like any big business it's been a bad year for them and it's been particularly bad for disney because because of their parks business because of their parks business no. um yeah. but you know i think yeah they still they're still disney and they still have a ton of money to to throw around well i was thinking about like how does this because a lot of this is disney plus right like some yes. of these movies whatever we should mention some of the other services very briefly too but yes mostly disney plus yeah like star which i don't really understand and i would love you to explain because i think Canada is one of the stars. Yeah, so but. so basically, Star is going to be what Hulu for for reasons that um, I think somewhat somewhat have to do with like contracts and the fact that Hulu is still partly owned by Comcast, NBC Universal, but also to do with branding and it's very confusing. But um, basically, Hulu is at this point it's clear it's going to be U.S. only um, and, mm-hmm. and it's not going to expand internationally. And so Star, which is basically based on the hot star service from India, or at least it's, that's where they're borrowing the branding from, is going to be how they expand internationally to non-Disney stuff. It's basically going to be the equivalent of Hulu. They're, they're describing it as their general entertainment brand, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny because it sort of implies that everything else is not general entertainment. Um, right. But uh, there's going to be in some markets, I think, including non- Canada. Wait, what does that mean? Non-nerds, non-kids? Like, yeah, exactly. Kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's going to be, so I think Daryl, for you in the Disney plus app, there will be a star section and that's going to be a lot of the sort of like Fox TV shows, FX TV shows, Fox movies. Well, but will it though? Because the problem here is that all of those are already licensed to, I mean, over the next the few years, I think they'll sort big of, local carriers. They'll probably, so that'd be great you know bring those back um it'd be great if they did that because then it would uh, like we i would just wouldn't have to worry about the stupid monopoly players i would just be working with the biggest monopoly player instead that's (laughs) one of the climactic moments of the fictional movie that i was talking about that's right where they decide to announce without the licensing agreements in place yeah to force the hand this is going to be a great movie or show yeah Executive produced by Jordan Crook, thank you. And then in uh, in Latin America, I think they're actually going to launch a separate Star Plus app. One one of the effects of this is actually is going to be the fact that 
until now, Disney Plus has all been family-friendly content, so you can't have R-rated movies, for example. And because they're going to include the star uh, section, which will have more mature content, that means you're going to get parental controls, uh, mm. where you can turn mature content on and off. And the really nerdy consequence of that is that in the, Dis- the Marvel section of the Disney Plus app, they will finally be able to show Logan, which is what I care about. Oh, or, and Deadpool. And probably, Deadpool, right? that's right. Good news. And the stupid new, what was that one called? Hmm. New Mutants. New Mutants, yeah. Although, yeah, I can't remember if that's R or PG-13, but... I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. I've heard it's bad. Um, But I would say the overall effect of the presentation was both very exciting in the individual moments, and then when you sort of step back and look at the whole thing, it is kind of exhausting because there really is this feeling of anything that they, any kind of intellectual property that they own, they will find a way to reboot. Although when I was talking about this on Twitter, people pointed out they will never reboot Song of the South because it is deeply racist but like they're really going deep into their back catalog and you know if if you're somebody who hates the idea of like reboot culture this slate is like the opposite is is everything that you hate it's like all reboots all the way down yeah yeah it is it's and sequels and prequels it's gonna be i don't know it's gonna be difficult part of me is just like Bring it on. That's all I want. I just want to revel in this. I just want to climb back into the womb. And <laughs> <laughs> chill Y'all out, are making but... me want to climb back into the womb. What are, are we still mm-hmm. talking about this stuff? Or Yeah, we are. Oh, okay. Keep Wombs. going. Carry on. No, I think it's done. I don't know. <laughs> there's there's way more. St- we only mentioned a fraction of it. Like It's wacky how much stuff there is. So, yeah. I missed it entirely. Um, I would I'm say glad you guys are excited though. <laughs> one non-Disney Plus thing that uh, I mean, I was excited to see that they're still uh, planning to release the uh, Shang Chi movie with Tony Leung and Michelle Yeoh. So I'm super pumped about that. They're gonna do. Uh, they confirmed that they're not going to recast uh, the role of Black Panther, but they're still gonna do a Black Panther two with all the other characters. Um, Although they didn't mention anything about. Um yeah, How are they gonna the do vaccine-denying actress who uh, plays... Yeah, I think they're just going to really hope sister. that everyone's forgotten about it. Like, they're going to be like, don't talk about this by the time the movie comes out. Um, yeah, she deleted all of her social media accounts. But that yeah. one was a real heartbreaker. We should talk about that because it's just so awful. That, Can you like, give me the full context, please? Because this sounds like something I have an opinion on. Uh, oh, goodness. So what is her name? The, I can't remember <laughs> the actress's name or the <laughs> character's name. Letitia Wright? Letitia Wright, who plays uh, Shuri, like in the Black Panther movie, who is okay. like the super genius science technical engineer or whatever. Okay. And in the, the Endgame movie, whatever they're called, you know, the, that series of those two movies, the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, she posted a video that was like a total nut job conspiracy video of like, a vaccine denier and then also all these other wacky ass so she reposted someone else yeah, or something yeah. she didn't like, like go on live herself and was like no but I then don't. she defended it and was like i just think people should be asking questions and it was like yeah maybe people should be asking questions but not these specific questions this is a legit looney tick nut job man and then everyone attacked her obviously and then like i think 
some of the Avengers people were like, oh, I'm going to speak to her privately. And then she deleted all of her social media. Right. But like didn't come out with like a, oh, I was wrong. Like, this is dumb. But it's so heartbreaking because it's like you were the person who is like such a role model of like a, a science. A scientist. Person, yeah. Like a fact yeah. Based like. And then it was like, don't spread this because if people, especially young people, like they're going to look up to you and be like, this is you're my idol for these reasons so therefore i conflate character and person and i'm going to trust what you have to say and you're saying this fucking stupid nonsense garbage but anyways so it shouldn't be blaming individuals because it's obviously a larger social failing than it is i also feel like disney does um like sweep things under the rug as opposed to like yeah well i mean they've got a big old chris pratt problem sitting right in the middle of it and they never really addressed that right so right and like evangeline lily um got a you know was in this controversy earlier this year because she posted about how like you just gotta live your life oh and yeah her kids at gymnastics or whatever yeah and there yeah. was the mulan thing too and they're just like and there was the mulan thing whatever yeah. guys um, i mean and this is part of like what is really difficult i think is that these things are often is that like because you know you don't really there's not a lot of transparency on these decisions is that it looks like there's sort of this binary thing where either in some cases basically up to a point they'll just like never acknowledge it never talk about it and then and and it's basically you're like it's fine it's fine we hope you'll forget and then at a certain point you'll hit a point where it's like oh you're fired um right. and so like that's what happened with Roseanne um yeah on ABC right briefly with James Gunn, which was really stupid because, you know, it, like it, it was stuff that like was from a decade earlier and, and was clearly a bad faith argument by a bunch of right wing nut jobs um, that they were going after him. And now he's back at Disney um, making uh, making a, a Guardians, a third Guardians movie. Which and makes a, Disney uh, look even more like stupid, honestly. Yeah, it like... was just like, why did you bother... <laughs> I mean, part of it is because there's different. Ex- you can tell that there's a lot of. Um, well, I think like when they react, them. they react whatever. They they prefer action in favor of the conservative viewpoint, obviously, which probably reflects the values of their general audiences. Of course, be, but like you have the honestly. option to add a tier, right, between what Anthony's talking about. Like, there's the shh, no big deal, and then there's the you're fired you just add a tier in between those two things it's like we are willing to even if it's not a real thing because it won't be right like it'll literally be like a dog whistle for the right and an appeasement for the left but you Mm -hmm. have enough money to hire a comms department that is fully capable of whipping up that statement like why not just add that to the list of options <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and i mean i should say that i mean that's a slight uh, exaggeration like when i talked about those two tiers i think usually the sh- tier does include a statement that says oh this person doesn't you know speak for uh the company or something like not always but there, there can be a sort of very like massaged corporate pr statement it just like doesn't mean anything or carry any weight right part of it is yeah just like you know we've talked about like just like this general kind of like celebrity culture where we're like like what do we expect from celebrities and and what kind of standards we hold them to whereas you know now i'm definitely like on team like there are no heroes like kill all your idols it's all bad yeah yeah that's true right so mank right yeah let's talk about mank let's drag me through this (laughs) so this mank is the new film from from david fincher uh who is 
I would argue probably never made a, a bad film. Um, I even kind of like Alien. What are 3. his other movies? He made uh, Seven, Fight Club, Panic Room, Benjamin Button, The Social Network. Wow. Uh, Gone Girl. Um, he also was the kind of lead director on House of Cards, and you know, famously, part of the reason. Netflix was willing to spend $100 million on House of Cards is because they were like, oh, our algorithm says that our viewers like Kevin Spacey and David Fincher, so great, let's, let's spend a ton of money on House of Cards. And, uh, and then he also made um, Mindhunter. Oh, wow. That's a, like, that literally is a list of a bunch of things that I truly love. What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> so this film was, it's, it's a script that his father, who was, for most of his career, uh, a magazine journalist, but, but at the, towards the end of his life, he wrote a screenplay and um, with the goal of, of uh, having his son direct it, I think. Um, but, but his father died before, before it could happen. So this is, you know, obviously, in, in, in a sense, a, a kind of... Love letter. Yeah, like a love letter, you know, just a tribute to his father and, um, and making something a reality that, that his dad wanted to happen. Um, and so the, the mank of the title is, is Herman Mankiewicz, who was the co-writer of Citizen Kane, which I remember when, because I wrote the post when they announced this, this film, and I was like, what is the movie here? I don't really hmm. <laughs> understand. Um, and, and specifically, like, if you're going to make a movie about the making of Citizen Kane, why would you make it about Mankiewicz rather than Orson Welles? Right. And what the movie ends up being is a, it, it sort of jumps around in time in a way that I think is in part sort of, I think there are a lot of things about this that are sort of an homage to, to Citizen Kane. Um, it, it sort of fo- focuses on this period where... Mankiewicz is writing the first draft of the Citizen Kane screenplay, and then he is um, basically, which is like a, a screenplay based on William Randolph Hearst and, and his mistress, Marion Davies, and, and not a particularly flattering portrayal of them. And then it sort of focuses on the initial reaction to the screenplay and how people are like, oh my God, I can't believe you're going after Hearst. And then interspersed with that is like a lot of flashbacks about Mankiewicz's career and his relationship with Hearst um, and his relationship with Davies, who for a long, it seems like for a long period in the 30s, he was kind of a, a frequent guest. And, and the, the phrase they use a lot is he was the court jester mm-hmm. there. Um, there's, I mean, it's, I feel like even in my plot description, you're like, I don't understand how this <laughs> is a movie. But um, I have to say, I really liked it. I thought it was, it was, uh, it was a, a really, and, and maybe partly because I, had just watched the Disney presentation. And I was like, yes, no explosions, not a reboot, just like a character study. Um, I definitely don't think it's, it's Fincher's best movie. I, I, you know, I, I like you know, Fight Club and The Social Network a, a lot more, for example, and even ben- Benjamin Button. Um, but, but this is, I thought like a, it was a really solid story, you know, a good performance by Gary Oldman and, and by the cast. And, and overall, I, I really liked it. So... <laughs> I also surprisingly liked it. Jordan kind of like Sorry, did I taint you? So you I thought you, you I was like, "Oh yeah." Well, my opinion was going to be that way anyway. Like that's what I thought I was going to Daryl and like. I we do tend to like side a little bit more unless it has to do with comic book stuff, but Right, right. But so I was like, "Oh, this doesn't look that good." Like I feel like 
I don't need to know any of this shit. Also, I don't know anything about Citizen Kane except for Rosebud or whatever. So like, I and I've had f- forgotten that it was based on the life of William Randolph Hearst until that came up in the plot of this movie. But um, yeah, I was I was surprisingly engaged. I really actually really liked the Mank. I thought it was great and super. Uh, it, it kept my attention throughout. I was like basically riveted by it, and I was <laughs> I thought everybody's performances were fantastic, so I was really surprised. I'm glad. Are you? What about you, Jordan? No, I am. I'm really <laughs> glad. I, I'm I'm happy for you guys because I like I don't know. I just I I do think that the the premise of making a movie that is in 2020 that looks and feels like an old movie, but is in like it's in black and white, but it's also in fucking you know 4K or whatever, and uses like a lot of the same shot setups as an old film would, but like with the minor minorest tweak. That kind of, like yeah. that whole um, like the scene transitions are are very old fashioned, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a scene where sh- someone's holding a note and you read the note and then it pans up to like a movie studio and just like you know there's some stuff in that that's very charming, I guess. Um, so I can give it that. I just you know, it just maybe it was a me thing and a time and place and mood thing that I just like could not for the life of me focus on what the fuck was going on and it was just like it, I, maybe I needed an explosion or two at that given time period and I'm not like somewhat you guys know that I don't actually I actually don't prefer action movies I much prefer right. like dialogue heavy stuff you know mm-hmm. like I prefer the first season of Game of Thrones to the last four seasons of Game of Thrones for that reason, right? Like it's conversations in dark rooms as opposed to, you know, but I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't, you guys, it just felt, and I, I really have uh, trouble with old movies. Like when Mm -hmm. people are like, oh, you should watch this. You should watch the birds. It's a classic, right? Like, it's like, this is bad. (laughs) It was all bad. This the video it, it, quality is bad that's what yeah I like. it I, like it takes me so far it like it hurts me and this actually had like the remedy to that problem which was like you can do cool special effects and i mean if you needed to or you like you wouldn't get stuck in the anti-realism of it because it was still made in 2020 however like the look and feel alone was enough for me to be like nah i don't fucking care and like also, the old school misogyny vibes also were like, uh, just like every few minutes when I was like, focus up, you got to talk about this in a couple days. I was <laughs> like, never mind, where's Instagram? Like, that's just <laughs> what was going on with me. I will admit that it took me a while to get into it because the, the old, because of that old fashioned style and the feeling of every other Fincher movie is... You know, I think it's very different from every other movie he's mm-hmm. made in that, like, everything everything else he makes is trying to immerse you and, and, you know, trying to, you know, make you in some ways kind of... You don't... Like, this feels much more sort of like... You can feel, like, quotation marks around it. Like, like kind of like, hey, get it? You get it? Um, and I wasn't crazy about that. I mean, he has a flashy style, especially in, in, in Fight Club, which is, like... You know, very aggressively and stylized, like, but Gone Girl and stuff too, right? Like Gone, like yeah. I think Gone Girl had a lot of like really interesting shots and the right the sh- mm-hmm. powdered sugar and the 
right. the murder scene and all of that stuff was like super. But it's a, it's a sort of modern style. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think mm-hmm. he's one of the people who really created that kind of modern, like fast moving camera style. I mean, he's also even before he made movies, he was famous for for um, uh, his music videos, including like the Vogue music video and things like that. So he and so he sort of created the music video aesthetic, which has become a big movie aesthetic. But this was him, it felt like, very deliberately trying to make a movie that looks like a, a movie that could have been made in 1941 in a lot of ways. Not not every way, because like you said, I think there's definitely some subtle effects work and things like that. Um, and I don't think they actually shot it on film. I think it's it's digital and you can tell occasionally. Um, but they like do like, they actually do, in the digital footage, they made a point of inserting occasionally this sort of like little burn mark on the upper right. Yeah, um, I really hated that actually. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, yeah, I was just like, this is like, this who is are you trying a to fool? Silly. But I think that at a certain point, you, for me, I just became used to it, and and it became, um, you know, that it didn't bother me by the end. I, I'm not. I'm still like. There's a part of me that's curious about what this would have looked like if he had just told the same story in a more modern style. But at the end of the day, I I, I wasn't crazy about it, but it didn't bother me that much. I still don't know what the story was. I do want to hear it as soon as we go into spoilers. But I have one question before then. Was it Emily in Paris? Was that who I was looking at? That was Lily Lily Collins. Okay, cool. Yeah. There. Using her real voice, right? I don't know. She's British, right? Yeah, although it's it's funny because there's a lot of British actors doing American accents here, including Gary Oldman, who is great. I mean, is you know, Gary Oldman probably doesn't even have any accent anymore. Charles Dance as uh, William Randolph Hearst, uh, also doing an American accent. I thought I couldn't tell for sure. I was like, is he is he doing an American accent? Yeah, he was just doing like a. Which one's Charles Dance? Is that um, Tywin? Tywin Lannister. Oh, this isn't a spoiler. This isn't a spoiler. Uh, my favorite moment of this was I'm watching and then I'm like, wait a minute, who the fuck is that? Is that Bill Nye the Science Yes, guy? that's what I was going to say. And it was Bill Nye the Science Guy. Bill Nye playing was Upton in the movie? St. Clair. Jesus Lord. Although you, you, the thing is you only see him from the back at a distance, but you hear his voice. It's the Bill Nye voice. No, no, you see, you see him. They show his face. Do they? I yeah. feel like you only see him at that rally. Yeah, at the rally, but they show his face. I thought, uh, who played Orson Welles? Oh, he was, um, I forget the actor's name, but um, he was in the fourth season of The Crown. He played, uh, what's his name? Dazzle, the, the guy who helped um, Helena Bonham Carter figure oh, yeah. out her, Priest her find her like relatives. He's like a B-list Joaquin Phoenix is what I always think of. Yeah, he's been in a yeah. lot, I think. he's a. Character. I mean, not B-list. He just like, you know, that's the... You know how there are those actors, and then he's there's never the one that looks man. like them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, also because in I guess Joaquin Phoenix's when his breakthrough in Gladiator, he had a, or does he? No, he doesn't in real life. He had like um, you know, like a split lip. Yes. Or, I forget Clef exactly. Cleft palate. Cleft palate, exactly. Thank you. And then um, in The Crown, he uh, his character has a cleft palate. Anyways, he yeah, he was good. I liked him. Uh, and Amanda Seyfried. She was very good. Yeah, I, I, I saw some articles actually saying that this is kind of her showing the world that she's a serious actress, which I don't know. I think she's been, I mean, I sort of understand that, that like probably I think her 
biggest movie until now. Biggest movies until now were Mean Girls and uh, Mamma Mia. But like, I think she's always been very good. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of think so too. But um, yeah, I did see that a lot. So. Well, and the Mean Girls thing is like a little tough to overcome. I feel like in right. terms of you know that character it's not just that it was mean girls it was that her character in mean girls was like <laughs> so pronounced and and that just like right whereas like rachel mcadams i feel like she kind of got beyond that casting yeah. fairly quickly really quickly well but she was playing and, yeah very different but like character. wasn't the notebook exactly. and mean girls almost like around at the same time so she kind of I had like so. the double whammy of of those things hitting pretty close together yeah yeah, I mean, she was also she, yeah, right. She's she's played a lot of things, but I don't know actually. Many of them weren't really. I'm not looking at her. Her are we talking about Rachel McAdams still? Filmography. No, no, uh, Amanda Seyfried. Seyfried. I, okay. I don't know that she has anything with this kind of weight prior to. This. I mean, she was very good, very briefly in the third season of Twin Peaks. Oh yeah, but okay, who's seen that? Five people, I think. No, man. Well, I think it's true that very few people have seen it, but like it's one of those. Th- and I'm somebody who loves the first couple seasons, especially the first season of Twin Peaks. But like, like if you want to get into an online argument, like try to claim that the first season of Twin Peaks is the best, and then like all all of like film Twitter will jump on you and be like, no, the third <laughs> season is a masterpiece. Don't even call it a TV show. It's an 18 hour film. And wow, you just people tell everyone. me a lot that I should watch Twin Peaks, and I a lot don't listen to them. <laughs> I think you would like it. I mean, especially the first season. The first season is very, very good. Um, I'm sure that I would, but... Possibly the the best season of television that's ever been created. Wow. Watch yourself. (laughs) So, I mean, one thing I also want to talk about a little bit before we get into spoilers (laughs) is um, you were talking about this sort of atmosphere of of misogyny, Jordan, and um, it is a movie that a like centers on men to to a large extent and then also that the women who are there are there in some ways in defined by their relationships with with these various you know powerful men or or mank who is not powerful exactly but is in this sort of center of of the movie Mm -hmm. um is is that kind of way and then you know like it is old hollywood right which is just a very misogynist place is, is that kind of what you were talking about? Yeah, and it like it's it's pretty pervasive throughout the film. I mean, the parts I paid attention to. There was also like a particular scene early on with the woman in pasties standing yeah. sitting in, oh, the, in studio. the writers' room, right? And at one point, which is an all male writers' room, yeah. Yeah, and at one point, someone says, um, "What I would give to see that in a tight sweater." And I was Max like, "She's naked." Yeah. <laughs> like what are you talking about that's why it's it funny. is it is funny it's funny but like i don't know i think like also it might be a me thing i was watching did you guys see the time release that video this morning where they're like who will be the time person of the year it's just like oh, a really no. quick one on, i didn't see the video but i saw their their options i saw the announcement yeah i mean they're definitely ones. it's a, it's gonna be a thing today obviously because they're making a huge deal out of it the last like 48 hours but um there's a video on twitter and it's like it goes really fast through the time people of the year since they started it mm. and it starts slowing down the closer you get to present time and i just c- couldn't help myself i was just like oh my god 
that is so many white dudes in a row. Like it is just like white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy. And I get because it's like old school, whatever. Um, it's been around for a billion years. But I, I think I'm just like so attuned right now to that that even in a funny context or even in a context where it makes perfect sense, like in the case of time or in the case of this movie, I'm just like, well, I don't know. I just like can't yeah. be bothered with that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, this is Jeff. There's a movie where it's like, Hey, this is a movie about white, a white guys having a power struggle. Right. Which is like hard to avoid given the historical context, but also totally makes sense that people would just be tired of seeing that story told again right right it's not that it's like not done well it's just that like i just don't have interest in in the story to begin with right Right. you know what i mean like i can't be bothered with with that yeah i mean i think people said a lot of similar stuff around the irishman which i think was in a lot of ways much worse in this regard because the women were even more sidelined and and you know i think they're in a very kind of and people talked about the fact that anna paquin's character was supposed to be kind of an important character but she had almost no dialogue and i think this isn't quite as bad but has some of the same problems where in a perfect world you should yeah you should make you can make some movies that are mostly about men and reflect the terribleness of men in some ways and you have a lot of movies about women too but what sucks is that especially when these movies become like this is you know we'll see what actually happens and also awards mean nothing but that like people are sort of talking about this as Netflix's and and maybe the front runner for for best picture right and you know in the same way that Irishman kind of was in a lot of those conversations last year and so when like the sort of like big movie is just such a, a male-centric movie. I, I understand why there's people like, oh, really? Again? Really? Yeah. There's just like so many interesting, st- whatever. I mean, I'm not going to do that. There's so many interesting stories to be told. Right. And I mean, I think also that like, um, there's, you know, I, I think the Marion Davies character has some of these issues. And then Rita Alexander, played by Emily in Paris, Lily Collins, um, who's like the, the, the secretary during the, the writing period also has some of these issues. And then especially um, Tuppence Milton, who plays Sarah Mankiewicz, his wife, like that is just such a sort of classic, long-suffering wife to a difficult male genius character yeah. that um, I think in Poor some ways Sarah, you could sort of right? see a, a subtle acknowledgement that like what, how he treat that like the movie knows that the way he treats her is very bad and like the way he always is like, why do you love me? But, like, I feel like I would have liked to see a little bit more of an acknowledgement that he is a really shitty husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I, do, I definitely think if you're comparing it to the Irishman, like, there's no contest, right? Like, they, they actually made all of these characters three-dimensional. And I think sometimes people yeah. maybe should have gotten more time than they were due or or behaved in ways that are, like not necessarily palatable to modern audiences or whatever right like it's it is her behavior sucks i think it's a little bit made up for by the fact that gary oldman does a really good job of being that charming uh irascible drunk or whatever right like a really good one like you can't help but be endeared by him and that's the story of everybody else around right like he's an absolutely destructive character who is damaging to friend and foe alike but everyone else keeps 
they they just can't hide their affection for them until like kind of it goes beyond the pale basically but like he does a really good job of making that convincing because you're just like ah damn i would want you around too like <laughs> you, you would probably pee in my armchair or something right but like i because you get drunk and just pass out in it but i would still i'd probably forgive you in the morning because you're fucking clever as shit and so funny and uh so compelling like well i don't want to talk about it in spoilers but there's a scene where he's living a long delivering a long diatribe and you're mm-hmm. kind of like no one in this setting should have the patience for this or like there's no reason why people shouldn't cut him off at this point and yet they don't and it's because he's doing a really good job of delivering his like speechifying right so i think that makes up for a lot of sins which is part of the whole story right but like yeah it is it is definitely difficult to be like to see her and to see her seem to be like otherwise a very strong and like competent character and then also be like I'm just going to tolerate the fact that he lives on another side of a country for however many long. And they, they don't go, I think it would be one thing if they went about it by being like, actually she prefers this arrangement, but they don't do that. Right. So yeah, it wasn't ideal. I guess one other quick thing we should touch on before we get into spoilers is that probably your interest in watching this movie and how quickly you get pulled into it will depend on having seen Citizen Kane and knowing some of the backstory, but that it seems that it seemed to me, though I, you know, am a Citizen Kane fan, um, but it seemed like Daryl, for you, the movie worked, even though you hadn't seen it. Yeah, I don't think you actually need to have, I think that what you require is just kind of a, maybe an interest in like the old school Hollywood studio system and a basic familiarity with the personalities involved. You actually don't need to know much about the movie itself beyond in broad strokes you know it's one of considered one of the best movies of all time and it's a loosely fictionalized interpretation of the life of and criticism of the life of uh, William Randolph Hearst the publishing baron right like there's there's no other real information you require to to enjoy this movie i don't think okay let's uh let's move into spoilers so if you have not seen mank and you don't want to know how it ends i would say this is a movie that you can't really spoil um and and that if you know everything about it you're still fine but if you want to keep the surprises surprising um you should stop listening now yeah it was crazy when um he won the lottery and then bought the tank and then killed everybody like yeah there's no it's not really a (laughs) <laughs> surprise twist type of movie so. <laughs> right right all partly because it's also a movie where again like it starts kind of at the end um and you know that the big the, the thing that happens at the end is they make citizen King. <laughs> right um and you know who gets credit for it and you know whatever right, right. yeah um so jordan it sounds like you i mean also pro- partly don't care but also have some questions about the plot what what was it? I I literally didn't pay attention. I mean, there's a filmmaker, there's an actress. Yes. Orson Welles is involved in some way. There's the backdrop of the Holocaust slash World War Two. There's a giraffe at one point. That's what I got. Basically, so this guy Herman Mankiewicz, I think he, he's a writer from, um, I think from New York, certainly from the East Coast. He, he started out as a journalist and then he became a screenwriter um, who, because it you know, pays more money, 
but is also somebody who doesn't necessarily take it very seriously because, I mean, it, they, they make a joke that he's sending telegrams to every writer he knows um, saying, come, come out west, millions of dollars to be made, and the only competition is idiots. Yeah, because the one guy at the start who's the young guy is like, feels special, but then they're like, no, right. no, no, he just sends it to everybody because he needs right. bodies to fill the room, basically, right? I mean, as an illustration of the kind of like, Ho- old Hollywood Easter egg they have in this movie. The, the young guy who you sort of they use as the introduction to this world, it, he plays this guy writer named Charles Letterer, and I was like, why do I recognize that name, Charles Letterer? And Charles Letterer actually wrote um, His Girl Friday, which is my favorite movie of all time. So yeah, everybody in that like, room. There was a lot of them who had famous, notable names, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, famous to a very specific segment of of the. But yes, was a successful screenwriter who's written classic Hollywood films. But you see, I mean, that the, most of the time they're just like playing cards and kind of will just like make up stories on the spot because they, 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 to a certain extent, they see, and a particularly Mankiewicz yeah. sees it as, as beneath him. Um, yeah, they think idiots could do it. And then they, they, they the scene where they, they essentially improvise the like big next script that the studio is looking for. The one is, with the robot or whatever. The yeah, basically robot Frankenstein. Pitchfork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, this is Frankenstein. What are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah. But it, it, that that's like his attitude to the whole thing. It's like I could essentially do this, expending very little effort, and so I'm gonna keep doing it, riding high, and getting away with it, basically, right? Yeah. And there's a sense that, I mean, essentially that he's sort of like frittering, that instead of like using this talent he has as a writer, he's just basically drinking himself to death and, and being funny. Um, and, and then at the same time, he is pulled actually through this young guy, young writer, Charles Letterer, his, his um, aunt is Marion Davies, William Randolph Hearst's mistress. And so he kind of gets pulled into that social circle. And, and you get the sense that at this time, Hearst kind of sees that the movies are going to be kind of the next great entertainment medium and so he's trying to pull all the hollywood folks into his orbit mostly the 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 studio heads but he keeps mank around because mank is funny yeah um and then when he goes to that that's a great scene too because they're like doing they're essentially filming a vanity project on hearst properties um yeah the head of metro golden mayor is there uh what's his name uh louis mayor. b mayor yeah louis b mayor and he's also fantastic the actor who plays him and i found his character so compelling and also like reflects what i know about the hollywood studio system right um just a huge fucking asshole and uh there's also there's a great scene later on too where he's doing he go he has to ask their entire stable of actors to like take essentially half pay or less than half pay um or not has to but like there's a government sort of hold up with taxes or whatever i forget what it is but they he goes in banks are closed because of the depression that's right banks are closed because it's the depression so he has he asks all of their a-listers like all their their top actors and actresses to like take half pay and he delivers the speech that's very emotional and then that's consistent throughout right like he's delivers these emotional addresses or like there's people die and he like mourns them very sincerely and then immediately turns it off because it's all bullshit because he's really just a hard ass right also his intro in the in the actual studio when they go to visit him and he's i think he's hitting somebody <laughs> he's like hitting <laughs> a writer and telling him to get the fuck out or something it's right very very good um yeah. yeah although there's also a funny line later on where um mang explains oh right like these guys who you think own the studios they don't actually own the studios they just run them for all the money men back east right. um 
so they're also like kind of taking them down a notch. But a lot of this kind of then comes to a head in the um, gubernatorial election, the, Ca- the California governor's election of 1934, where Upton Sinclair, played by um, Bill Nye, is running uh, on the Democratic side. And it seems like he has a real shot of winning. But all the studio heads, and especially Hearst, are like, absolutely not. And so Mank, at least in this telling, Mank kind of plants the idea that, like, well, if you don't like this, like, you run a movie studio. You could do a lot to to stop this. And so they create these um, what look like newsreels. I mean, they are newsreels, but they're just Actors. fake news, essentially, right. where half the people particularly the people speaking out. Well, I think actually they have people on both sides because they have people speaking out for the Republican candidate saying like what a real American he is. And then they have people speaking out for Upton Sinclair, but they're like, yeah, like I'm from Russia and this is, you know, exactly what we did in Russia and it's great. So you should vote for Upton Sinclair for socialism. And um, cool. And I think it, it sort of implied that that is kind of, because it's a close election and it, and it tips the balance and at least you know, gives a big push to the Republican candidate. And Mank hates himself for having given this them this idea for, you know, being part of a system that basically ruined Upton Sinclair's chances. And then actually he sees this uh, colleague who got a chance to direct, but he was directing these fake newsreels. And, and that colleague uh, is so broken up about that, although he apparently also has a Parkinson's diagnosis, that he kills himself. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of that self-loathing is, is, I think, part of what he carries with him, both then in this scene that Daryl was talking about, where he just kind of angrily confronts Hearst. And then when Orson Welles comes to him, and, and you know, I think it seems like a, a very kind of standard kind of contract where he says, I want you to write this movie, but I'm going to be the only credited screenwriter, but you're going to write the first draft, and then, you know, we'll, we'll do the revisions together. And Mank writes this 300-page screenplay, which I think that's uh, that's actually true. It was like a three, 300 pages, insanely long, and it was just like really going after Hearst and, to an extent, Marion. Um, and, and part of it is that, like, actually, Marion is the one he actually liked, and they, they, they were both sort of, like, these outsiders in, in this circle or, or something about them, like, they, they understood each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and because this is, like, the first time he's written something where he really brought his passion, his talent fully to bear, um, he says, you know what, like, people are like, you should back away from this project because it's going to be, because Hearst is going to attack it, and it's going to destroy your career. It's going to destroy Orson's career. Um, and not only does he not back down, but he decides to piss Wells off too, because he says, "This is the best thing I've ever written. I can't take my name off of it." Right. And even though he's agreed up front to not have a credit to essentially go. Yeah. And and so then at the end, um, the it sort of ends with Citizen Kane winning the Oscar for for best screenplay. And, you know, because the, the the idea of, like, a live telecast wasn't really a thing back then, I think people just didn't, not as many people showed up for it. And uh, neither Mank nor Wells was there, but you just see a little bit about, like, how they, how they you know, how they responded and it ends with, like, Mank doing, like, sort of a fake speech about uh, accepting his Oscar. Which is sort of a weird note to end on. I was not crazy about that ending. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was weird. Yeah, it was kind of like a 
it was it was pretty pat, right? It's like, oh, well, okay, and then yeah, they did a freeze frame, like it was like the Breakfast Club ending or something. It was weird, but um, yeah, I I did. I mean, I thought it was a great story though because it was like for me the story was just like. Okay, like here's this. Uh, he's a super self-destructive person, and he's sort of frittered his entire life away. He has one chance to do something kind of right, and then, but he his conflict is like, in so doing, he sacrifices all of his like sort of easy living and burns all of his bridges and whatever. And, um, does he do it or not or whatever? So it's, I thought it was great. I did think, um, I thought, I I, I thought all the actors were good. I thought he he was. I don't think he liked Hearst. Well, I he li- he liked Marion Davies, right? Like obviously very yeah. friendly. Like they got along. I don't think he hated Hearst either. Like in that speech uh that he gives the big kind of like culminating speech at the dinner party, it sounds like he has sympathy for him. And then Hearst is kind of kind of like represents I guess the other path that he could have chosen, which was which was just to shelf the thing and like eliminate any sense of principle and just be like whatever right but like Hearst starts from a good place and he seems more sad about kind of the trajectory that Hearst has followed Mm -hmm. um but yeah I I I mean I just thought it was so great and I thought all the characters were like so well played and also so three-dimensional uh and potentially sympathetic too with the exception of maybe of mayor who just seemed like a complete asshole the whole time through but like write a cartoon yeah a bit of a cartoon yeah but but you're right like when they bring up that they're he's still actually beholden to somebody else you're like oh okay like there's a reason for all of this bad behavior right ostensibly but yeah i just i, I couldn't uh stop watching it and and really i mean though i think most of the credit is due to uh gary oldman i think he just played it so so well and the the differences between sort of mank later on like while he's actually doing it recovering from a car crash right which is another part of it like they really (laughs) wells seems sinister too because wells is like come and captured him in sort of this weakest stage and then essentially trapped Mm -hmm. him in a bell jar and said like now do your thing for me right because he's laid up after having been in a car accident um immobile because his leg is broken or something right and so yeah but you have that version of him he's sort of like barely a person but he's still like has his wits and senses about him and then you have like the lively sort of like peak of his game like most successful point in his career writer room at the kept kept writer at the studio thing and um he plays all of it so so well and the transition between them too right well and that he has to play so many of his you know present day scenes writing Citizen Kane from like laid up in a bed yeah at like the most unflattering angle for anyone yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know his like head is sort of half tilted up in that sort of double chin that you never want anyone to photograph very in. little really yeah but he's like he's so he's great and and then in that big scene that you were talking about um I think the thing that for me is um came through even more than his sympathy for Hearst is how much he hates himself and like yeah. that's really what's driving that whole confrontation is like that he hates what he's become and what he supported. And, and so that's why he like rants and rants and rants. Although then Hearst does get that great speech um, after. Yes. And like, that's really the only extended dialogue that, that Hearst gives because the rest of the movie, he just sort of sits and does his sort of like classic. T- 
yeah. Tywin Lannister smile. Yeah. Um, but then he finally gives that whole speech about the the organ grinder's monkey, and and you know makes it clear that's who Mank is. That Mank thinks he's like this big deal, but actually we just keep you around because you're entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's very good too, and and yes, he's a bit kind of like. Uh, I don't know one note or whatever but like he, I thought he was perfect for that role I thought he did a really good job again I don't really know anything about Hearst himself beyond the general so I don't know how accurate it was to actual Hearst but I don't think it needed to be right he just needed to be this type right. of character and I think he did that right I mean I guess that's kind of the, the one of the funny things about the movie is that the, the kind of the people that are the most famous um are the ones who are kind of in the background of the movie yeah. that Hearst barely speaks. Orson Welles is like mostly a presence on the phone or something. Yeah. Although I, I think the actor did a great imitation of, of Orson Welles. Yeah. That incredibly distinctive voice. Yes. He did the voice very, very well. Yeah. And had similar presence. I think. We don't have to go into this too much, but uh, we should probably also just quickly acknowledge that I think one of the, one of the relatively few negative responses to the movie is focused on the portrayal of Wells, because I think there are a lot of people in the film community who just love Orson Wells, uh, both for making Citizen Kane and for the fact that basically the rest of his career was was kind of spent in a kind of exile in, in Europe outside the Hollywood system, partly because of the controversy over Citizen Kane and partly because of he was just somebody who could not work within the, in the Hollywood system. And so I think a lot of people see him as, as this hero. And there was this... Um, very controversial article in uh, the early 70s by Pauline Kael called Raising Cain, which basically argues that um, that Herman Mankiewicz did all the writing in Citizen Kane, and he deserves all the you know a lot more of the credit for for Citizen Kane. And I think for Wells fans, that's like blasphemy. Um, yeah. And and to be fair, I think that the, like a lot of the things about in, claims in that article have been subsequently discredited or undermined, but. I think there's a certain corner of, of people who are really into Orson Welles who are kind of like, oh, no, it's another movie that's just making it seem like Orson Welles doesn't deserve credit for Citizen Kane. But I don't really think that's what this movie is about at all. And, and No, I don't think so either. They had a great moment with him in the movie where he's furious at Mank, right? At the, like when Mank is basically like, listen, I'm going to get a writer's credit even though I didn't agree to it. And here are all the reasons why sort of like checkmate like you can't really like you can you can fight it but it's going to be difficult so and then he's and then like um kane like freaks out and throws something against the mantle or whatever right like the the booze bottles or something but then manquiz is like oh that's great and like writes down in a notebook like this is the perfect moment for like the culminating scene or whatever in in kane and then uh uh, Wells begrudgingly admits that that's like yeah yes that's that is what we need. <laughs> right and to me that's like more like I don't think they this movie is like he didn't do anything I think this movie is like um that that Mank did all of the base work and then and then right you know sure Wells elevated it after that and had to as the director yeah. and kind of like f- script refiner and everything else but I I love that and I think whatever i don't know much about the wells fan catcher but like he's a fucking 20 year like how smart can he be like it's it's fine <laughs> like maybe he needed some help once in a while great like guess what yeah. he definitely did so uh, you know right and and as he says in the movie he says well listen i'm still going to be the one directing producing and starring in the film right, which right. is true that like even if 
Mankiewicz was the only one who wrote the script, which isn't true because like Wells is the one who took a three hundred page script and turned it into um, a you know a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. Like he's still the one who made the movie. Um, but again, I think that's really not. That's just sort of a side note of like what it's about. But it seems like that's another topic of conversation that people have had. Um, anyway, final thoughts on Mank. Uh, Jordan doesn't like it, and we do. <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. Yeah. I'm sure. If I maybe if maybe in the right time and place, if I was like in the zone for this, I would feel differently. But I think you. I guess my advice to people, if you're thinking about watching it, is like be in the mood for, like an Academy Award style, like, yeah, dialogue heavy. You know, like that. Don't don't need um, stimulation <laughs> if you yeah. want to watch it. No, you gotta commit to it. <laughs> To get the most out of it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, be be prepared. But I'm sure many people have a different experience than me. I'm sure I'm a bit of an outlier. I just didn't, wasn't, wasn't the right mood. I should have waited and done it a different time. But it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Well, my final thought is just that everyone should watch Citizen Kane. And I think that, like, sometimes when people hear that it's, like, the greatest movie ever made, it sort of sounds like homework. But it's actually... I mean, I think people sometimes say this too much about like different things, but it's actually a fun movie. It's a really fun movie, and it's like yeah, actually in sure. a relatively a modern style. Um, and I mean, that's part of why I think it gets so much attention is like it's the first American like classic Hollywood movie that's really sh- like where the camera is like so expressive, and there's so many like beautiful shots. And anyway, that's kind of that's a good point though, because I do hate that's when Jordan was talking about the stuff with the old movies. You kind of. What you hate, what I don't like the most is that it's there's nothing dynamic about the cinematography in a lot of the old movies, right? Which totally makes sense because they were just learning it for the first time. Like, why would they be like trying to get innovative with like, yeah? Uh, the innovation was the fact that there was a film, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe right. it is. Maybe I'll give it a shot, Anthony. Maybe. Right. Like, they, for example, they um they had to like rip up floorboards so they could shoot from below, and it was like the first sets that they'd ever built that actually had roofs because <laughs> it's the first time they mm. shot movies in these weird angles, um, and it has like a, this great script about um, William Randolph Hearst and Orson Welles is amazing, and weirdly enough, the makeup that they use to to age him works pretty well, partly because it's relatively subtle. Anyway, Citizen Kane, good movie, people should watch it. All right, so before we go, just a quick reminder, you can always send us an email at originalcontent at techcrunch.com. Let us know what you think of Mank. Let us know what you think of us. You can also subscribe on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. We always appreciate positive reviews. And you can follow us on Twitter at Original Content. Thank you so much for listening. Jordan and Daryl, have a great weekend. Yep, you too. too.